Science and technology are an increasingly large part of our lives. We take a look at the interface between science and history, economics, philosophy, ethics, religion, and culture. That's Spark Dialogue Podcast, where it all comes together. I'm your host, Elizabeth Fernandez. Art and storytelling have been used for most of human history to convey complicated concepts from generation to generation. There's something about a good story or a work of art that stays with us. It becomes a part of us. It changes how we see the world. But can storytelling and art work for our understanding of scientific concepts as well? Today our guest is scientist and artist Matteo Farinella. Matteo is a neuroscientist at Columbia University and a presidential scholar in society and neuroscience. But more than that, he's also a cartoonist. His cartoons surpass anything you would read in the Sunday papers. Rather, they are works of art, capturing complex scientific concepts. His comics and graphic novels hope to reimagine facts as stories, with characters and plots. People who read them are not only entertained, but also come away smarter. So welcome to the podcast, Matteo. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So you have a lot of different mediums that you create. What are some of the, your favorite mediums that you use to convey scientific stories? Oh, well, definitely, as you mentioned, is uh, comics or cartoons or graphic novels, whatever you want to call them. And you also have done some illustrations for like books and articles and short stories as well? Yes. Yeah. So I always enjoy drawing and slowly this developed uh, sort of parallel career into illustration. But as you mentioned in your introduction, I think the narrative component is very important. So that's really what comics are, sequential pictures that tell a story. Right. And so you've done a couple of graphic novels. What are the stories behind these graphic novels that you've written? So the first one, uh, the first one you've seen is a neurocomic. Uh, that's really what kind of changed my whole career trajectory. So mm-hmm. I was doing a PhD in neuroscience in uh, London, University College London in 2012. And uh, with a friend of mine, Hannah Ross, who was, a, was also a neuroscientist, but she also had a background in science communication, we started playing with this idea of using my comics to talk about our subject, neuroscience. And slowly, this kind of this side project between friends grew into something more serious. We got a grant to develop this book. Uh, and the idea was essentially, yeah, to give this introduction to our field of neuroscience in comic format. And again, like we didn't just want to make a textbook with illustrations, but we want to tell a story. It's, it's this fictional story of this character traveling inside the brain. And then your second one was about the senses, right? Yeah, yeah. So the second one uh, that came out just last year, it's kind of a similar idea. So it's another, I never know how to describe them because they're not uh, exactly <laughs> uh, non-fiction, but they are about science. They're kind of a weird type of science fiction, but they, they are always <laughs> these sort of fictional journeys in the in the scientific world. So the senses, as the title suggests, uh, it's a travel through the five main sensory receptors, so how our brain receives information from the outside world. And then i also done shorter comics. That's the kind of the common thread, uh, trying to present science in this new unconventional format of this like um, fiction journeys in, in visual format, in comic format. That's right. really what they all have in common. And so you wanted to start conveying science, you know, do science communication. And most people, when they want to do this, they don't immediately think of comics. So what drew you to this particular medium? No, yeah, that's interesting. Because actually, 
myself, when I thought of science communication, I mostly thought of, uh, of it in terms of writing or documentary or now, of course, podcast. So I was aware of science communication and I was following these things, but I, I never thought I could do it myself because, again, I didn't consider myself a writer or media producer, but uh, I always loved drawing and I, I was kind of drawing comics, but not about science. So it took me really a while to put two and two together and figure out I could use comics to do science communication. Because as you said, it's not a traditional format. And uh, it took some convincing both for myself and for other people to start to accept it. But I think now I actually have a big proponent, of course. And like I, I, I really think uh, it's not just a good format is like I think is a specially good format <laughs> for <laughs> many other reasons we could like, get into, but yeah, I think it has a lot to offer because it combines kind of the power of visualization, which we use all the time in science, with this uh, the storytelling component, which as writers and filmmakers know it's very important to draw the audience in. You mentioned the two graphic novels that would fall under the larger umbrella of being about neuroscience. But I looked at some of your other comics, and a lot of them have to do all different types of subjects than science, anywhere from GMOs to subatomic particles. And there's also some where you're just talking about how scientific academia works and things like this. So how do you come up with the ideas of what you're going to draw um, yeah, well, it's initially I started from neuroscience simply because that was my home. That's like the subject I felt most comfortable with. So neurocomic is really, it's not even about like new developments in neuroscience or like, or my own research. It was really about basic concept in neuroscience. Mm -hmm. uh, and I still think that's actually a good use of, particularly a good use of comics because these are things which don't usually get covered in, I don't know, journalism or video or audio. Like, what is a neuron? What is a synapse? Uh, these are things we kind of take for granted very often when we write because there's no way to make them exciting. And, and comic could be this kind of trick to, I think, maybe repackage this basic information. I, I just think essentially that comics, just like writing, is just a, just a medium. So it could be used in any context, in any subject. So it could be used for more like basic explainers, which is mostly what I've done. But it could be used also to do more like in-depth graphic journalism kind of things. And so I'm trying to explore all these different venues to see, really like, kind of try to push the boundaries, what can comics be used for. Um, mm -hmm. So that's how I choose things, mostly experimenting. But the specific subject is, I think, is just what kind of excites my interest at any given time. As a scientist at heart, I still really kind of like to experiment, so try different things. <laughs> Do you work with particular scientists or universities in order to flush out the scientific concepts behind what you are looking at? Well, now when I started to um, yeah explore subjects beyond my own, beyond neuroscience, uh, of course, I also like know that I'm not necessarily an expert in this. So I started to collaborate with other people as well. Yes, I I work with someone else here at Columbia on this like short comic infographic about internet security, so digital security for specifically for journalists, trying to explain essentially what are the risks when we go online, who can see our data. Okay. And and yeah, that's I think is a very fascinating subject which we should all know more about. I, I'm absolutely not an expert in it, but I can find people to work with. And in a way it's more fun for me as well because I kind of get to learn while I draw the comics. <laughs> 
your medium of comics and graphic novels is interesting because I think a lot of people have a hard time approaching science because it is a little bit removed from our everyday experience and there's not that human component in it. A lot of times when you're doing your comics, you actually make up a character to put in the situation. Like, for example, I know one of your characters had to do with string theory, which is something that there isn't normally a person involved in string theory. So how do you come up with the characters that are in the storylines that you have? Yeah, no, that's a very good point. Um, I do this all the time, as you notice. And I think it's precisely because I'm trying to cover these subjects, which Okay, maybe they don't lend themselves so well to traditional formats like writing and, and film because there isn't really a protagonist. We were talking about the importance of storytelling. And of course, that's nothing unique to comics because, I mean, journalists do it all the time. They always look for the personal human angle when they tell a science story. So it makes sense. The, the problem with that is that I feel often most Popular science covers subjects in medicine or biology because those are things which they lend themselves better to, to storytelling. It's easier to find a protagonist, right? Mm-hmm. When, when there's like a, some like rare medical disease and a doctor trying to find a cure. But how do we deal with things like the very large scale, so like sort of ecosystem or like astrophysics wide scale, or the very small, like atoms and particles and and so there, there is, as you say, there are no characters. And, and so I think comics have this special power. You can make up a character and it doesn't seem weird. It's something we are used to in comics, to have these fictional characters, often non-human characters. So comics often do these like anthropomorphizing things. They can turn anything into a character from a cell to a molecule to an atom. We think of them as just like sort of funny things that comics do. But now that I'm trying to look at comics more from the lens of cognitive science, I became convinced this is actually something very powerful because, again, you can create this thing, these characters where there are none, and it could be a way to get the readers engaged with the story, even if it seems silly. But I think it's much easier to read a story about a cell if the cell has a cartoony face <laughs> than just thinking about cells in the abstract because most of us haven't seen a cell. So... It's difficult to relate to these things. What has been your favorite character that you've created? Oh, that's a difficult question. I don't want to <laughs> choose a, a specific one. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm very attached, of course, to the ones in my books, so Neurocomic and The Senses, because I spent more time with them. Mm-hmm. Drawing comics take a long time. That's possibly the only drawback I can admit about comics. <laughs> <laughs> possibly even longer than making a movie. So um, you really have to sit with these things for a while. Um, but yeah, also I want to say, like, I'm not pretending to create this, like, very complex, engaging characters. I think I explicitly make these characters as generic as possible because the point is not to tell the story of this character. The characters are sort of, they serve as a proxy to for the reader to read about the science. So I would like these characters to be sort of, generic masks that any reader can wear and and experience the science through these characters. 
another important part of your stories is the metaphors behind it. Because a lot of times you're dealing with things that are very difficult to understand. It's not part of our everyday lives when you're going into the brain. I mean, that's not something that we see every day. For example, one of the metaphors you use in your book is the neurons in the brain, and, and you illustrate it sort of like this beautiful forest. So how do you get these ideas when you take a scientific concept and then you have to create this metaphor and make it into something that you illustrate? Yes, that's right. I think you really highlighted the two main factors in my comics. So yeah, the characters and the metaphor, that's really what I try to do most of the time. Uh, more than the drawing per se, I think this is really what makes a comic effective. So the metaphor, yeah, this, which, it is this huge field uh, I became really fascinated with. Uh, so this, both in literature and psychology, how we use metaphors. Like, why do we use metaphors at all? But as you say, I think in science, it, they are important because we often deal with this not invisible subjects. I mean, there is, of course, something to show. We can show microscope pictures, for example. But they're just things most people don't experience in everyday life. So I think they remain quite abstract. And the metaphors um, are really a way to make them more relatable in a similar way to the characters. So metaphors, okay, I don't want to go too much into the science, but I started reading all this very interesting research in psychology, cognitive science, about how metaphors essentially are considered a tool for understanding and thinking. And especially, again, when we have these intangible entities. For example, the classic example is, is time, how we speak about time, which is in terms of a physical object that moves toward us, facing us. So all the expressions like we, I look forward to, uh, I can't face the future, you have to put that behind you. All these things map to this conceptual metaphor. These are all things, for example, people like Lakoff and Johnson pointed out in the 80s. And many more people pointed out that we do this all the time in science. Uh, for example, electricity is described in terms of water system. So we started thinking about the flow of an electric current. And, and again, these are things that maybe we dismiss as kind of just poetic literary devices, but I think they really help the reader understand these things. In the case yeah. you gave from my book, uh, so I can explain you all day what a neuron looks like and what are different parts of a neuron and how they branch uh, in different ways. But the metaphor of neurons as trees and the brain as a forest, I think it makes it so much more vivid because most of us have not seen a neuron, but we all have been in a forest. We all know what a tree looks like. We all have the feeling of being inside uh, this like tangle of trees and branches in a forest. And so I think it's, a, it's not just a sort of like nice picture. It's really a way to explain how the brain is shaped and how it works possibly. And so... Well, in the specific case, actually, it's like this is a classic metaphor we use in neuroscience so much that it became part of our language. That means the, the scientific language, we talk about dendritic branches and axonal arborizations. Um, but in neurocomic, you know, all we did is essentially make it real. So don't just use it in our language, but the brain is represented as a forest. And the character we were talking about essentially goes on a on a trip inside this forest. And yeah, uh, a, that was an easy example, but I, I just really enjoy finding metaphors and, and really thinking about 
what metaphors best convey the science. That's really, I think, most of the process that goes into my comics at the moment, finding ways to represent things on the page, especially since I want to tell stories. Otherwise, yeah, it just becomes a sort of textbook with pictures. And so in the same graphic novel that we're talking about, this character traveling through the forest, he sees not only the forest, but there's also memory caves and there's guitar playing sea slugs and so on all these different creatures he's encountering obviously you're taking some sort of liberty when you're coming up with these pictures so do you have to find a balance between the actual science and how many liberties you can take with what you're creating yeah i definitely take a lot of liberties (laughs) i and yeah the balance is a difficult thing to achieve i always doubt myself i i it's a constant process. I don't know if <laughs> I actually ever achieved it. So yeah, I, I talk about this a lot. I also started to say to describe it in terms of like you have to think about your audience. So you have to try to you have to think about what you're trying to achieve here. And I think as scientists, we are often tempted to just explain everything as clearly and as detailed as possible, which is fine in some context. Like so, if we actually expected people to learn a master subject that probably makes sense we want to like lay out all the details and then let the reader kind of absorb them but i don't necessarily think of what i'm trying to do here is like teaching or education science education uh, that's why I, I think more in terms of science communication or public engagement my main goal is really to change the perception of science i don't really mind if after reading your comic uh, the reader goes like just goes home and doesn't really remember much about the terminology or the different parts of the brain what what i hope they have is really a kind of a, a different perception of like neuroscience that maybe before seeing this like very abstract and mysterious thing they they couldn't possibly even understand mm-hmm. and after reading this story maybe they think okay maybe this is not that bad like this is maybe it can be fun it can be exciting it can be an adventure and there are definitely many things that like i i leave unexplained and so i always encourage the reader to look up for more information but yeah i hope to kind of challenge the stereotype of science and something really scary and serious and like it's a long list of facts so uh, if anything i prefer to err in the other direction so maybe omit some details and like simplify things and of course metaphors will always distort the original subject. So I'm okay with that. If it's in the name of uh, giving a different perception, a different feeling of science, and maybe making people more comfortable with reading about science. Who is your intended audience? Do you have people in mind when you're writing these? Yeah, I mean, I don't have like a specific sort of like person or like um, like demographic, uh, but yeah, as I was trying to say, I think I, I would like this to be so the first approach to science. So the, I don't intend my books to be for someone who's already like trained in science or like really passionate about neuroscience and already read science journalism and go to science museums and science talks. These people probably already know all that there is to know in the book, although it could still be fun for them to kind of see it from a different perspective. But what I'm trying to do with my comics really reach all those people that like we kind of gave up, I feel, in science communication. Those people that don't read the long newspaper article, they don't listen to podcasts or don't watch documentaries. And maybe the last time they interacted with science was 
you know, during high school, and they just remember science in this very dry, this very didactic subject. And if I can just like bring a few of those back into the conversation, I mm-hmm. consider I would consider myself happy. That's what I'm trying to write for. And since your background is neuroscience and understanding how the brain works, I'm curious if you use this understanding of how the brain works and maybe how people think in presenting this information to them and in using comics as your medium. Well, not initially, really. It's interesting because at the beginning, yes, I was doing a PhD in neuroscience, but it was um, was computational neuroscience, so it was like a fairly, again, abstract part of neuroscience. It didn't particularly teach me how people think. And I was doing all these things like telling stories and using metaphors without a real understanding of how this thing works. And it's only more recently, especially thanks to my latest position, this presidential scholar in society in neuroscience, that I'm kind of to bring the two together. So I'm using the science, particularly psychology, cognitive neuroscience, to think, uh, okay, how do I design this comic more effectively? Uh, I mean, of course, there's an element of sort of art and self-expression, like in any other format. Uh, but I feel like, yeah, we don't really have uh, any good guidelines. Like the, we have rules in journalism, right? Like how to tell a story, how to write uh, uh, a scientific article, but there is nothing equivalent to, in comics. I think we can really look at a lot of research in narratives and met- metaphors, and also, of course, graphic design, data visualization, and apply all these things to comics and try to come up with better ways to use this tool in science communication. I read some of the articles you wrote about why comics are an effective medium in communicating science. And you made a really interesting point. One of the things that you said was, it's not like you're sitting down to a movie or a documentary or even reading some text. In those situations, you are given the information in a linear fashion from point A to point B. And this is the direction that the producer or the writer wants you to have this information. But in comics, a lot of times you can lay out things in a very nonlinear fashion. You can put things all over the page however you want it, and people can read it in different ways. Do you think that this lends itself to communicate certain scientific concepts better this way? Yeah, I personally believe so. Um, Yeah, this is another thing I often point out now that I'm trying to make this more scientific argument for comics um and again i'm not the only one many educators like um, gene young pointed out that this idea of permanence of comics yeah the information in comics it doesn't just disappear like it does for example in an animation where like as you say the director sets the pace so it's often like one fact and then another fact and another fact and you kind of have to hold all these things together in mind and, and and draw the connection yourself in a comic everything is on the page all the time you can, of course, write a comic in a more linear way. And in that sense, maybe comics are not that different from a movie or a text article. So it's just like one paragraph after another. And that's probably the, what most people think of a comic is like the, the very rigid uh, grid, the, like lines and columns. But comics can do much more than that. So many experimental comic artists show uh, how you can do this like nonlinear of very complex page layouts. And they haven't been used uh, very much in science communication, but I think this would be perfect to communicate science because science often requires us to put all these different facts together, maybe also consider 
different scales of like or different uh, hypotheses, different theories at the same time, and then compare them. And so it's kind of difficult to do that in writing. Like you have to present one thing at a time and then draw your conclusions. But in a comic, you can literally like show two things side by side, highlight differences, show connections. So I'm very interested also, yeah, in this idea of design for comics. So applying all this principle of graphic design and a lot of theories from, for example, data visualization and infographics and bring them back into comics. Are you working on a new graphic novel that you want to talk about? I'm not working on a new graphic novel because now I'm mostly trying to do this kind of um, research. Uh, I mean, my last year of this uh, postdoc exposition at Columbia. Uh, but I'm doing some shorter comics or other kind of experimental things. Because as I said at the beginning, I, I think, I mean, I love the the format of the graphic novel. I, I grew up with it and I definitely want to do more of those. But I'm at the moment, I'm much more interested in, again, exploring all the different possibilities that comics can offer. And so, for example, yeah, this last thing I was talking about, to be honest, I haven't used that much in my graphic novels. I, I like to keep those fairly simple and linear because I want them to be, again, like a very approachable first introduction. But when it comes to, yeah, talking about more complex things, maybe more like data-driven comics, I think I would like to try more complex designs. And I'm, yeah, I'm working with some data visualization experts in Edinburgh, like Benjamin Buck, with this idea of data comics, so using comics to communicate uh, data. And so I'm, I'm getting a bit more experimental there. Still trying to use the metaphors and, and still trying to use some character-driven narratives as much as possible, but experimenting more with the layout of the comics. So if people want to check out some of your work, where would you recommend that they go to? Yeah, MatteoFarinello.com is my main personal website. So if you want to see my own comics, that's the best place to go. Cartoon Science is the other website, which I started as part of my current project. So trying to think a bit more broadly, so beyond my own comics and trying to collect uh, other examples of uh, science comics and science animations and publish some of these articles you've probably read, so more like the theory behind them, like why we should use comics and what makes a good comics in science communication. Well, thank you very much for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's great. This is Elizabeth Fernandez for Spark Dialogue Podcast. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to you joining us again in two weeks for another episode. If you're interested in subscribing to the podcast, you can find us on many of your favorite podcast repositories, such as Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. And remember, podcasts are free, so one way you can give back is to leave a rating or tell your friends. You can find out how to subscribe or how to rate at sparkdialogue.com slash how dash to dash subscribe. Also, check us out on facebook.com slash sparkdialogue or on Twitter at sparkdialogue, as well as Pinterest or on the web at sparkdialogue.com. As always, thanks for listening.